So today, our first what-if question. <clears throat> what if God doesn't want us happy? <laughs> for lots of possible reasons, and I, I kind of dug into them, but we don't have time for looking at all the different reasons. This idea of God wanting us happy, a lot of Christians kind of push back on this. They, they shy away from it, if not flat-out refuting it, right? Happiness is for the world. Like, joy, though... <laughs> Right. Happiness, it, it, just, it, just, it, it, it doesn't work for, for people who are trying to be like uh, super, super holy and super churchy, like happiness is like for them and, and, and joy. I, you know, I, I don't know what the deal is, um, but, I, but I get the strong idea that pleasing us and making us happy, and, and I think other people have noticed this, doesn't appear real high on God's agenda, right? Um, it doesn't appear that he frets right? When somebody's displeased with the job he's doing, it doesn't look like he is, um, you know, again, wringing his hands with somebody who's unhappy with the way a scriptural text went, right? Um, maybe another one is complaining about the weather. I, I don't think, he just doesn't seem all that concerned with these worries of ours that, that, that for us, our happiness slips away, um, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't think he really is that concerned that we don't maybe like his methods or even the personnel that he sent to us, like our pastors and teachers and companions and, and comforters. I mean, I can just hear it now, people saying, Lord, right, are you aware that some of us are unhappy with you right now? Doesn't that concern you? Can you hear? Go ahead and imagine God's reply and then check this out. This is in Psalm 2, verse 4. I think this is the way God replies. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Right? We've got that. I don't know what the deal is, but we've got this, this battle over happiness, right? Believers, we, we, we tend to say to non-believers, right, we'd rather be happy later than now, so we, we'll be really grumpy and and. and, and kind of crotchety right on earth because we're <clears throat> we're saving up our treasures in heaven we, we we're going to be happy then you, you just wait and see and like non-believers are saying to the believers well we'd, we'd rather be happy now um, because we really don't believe there's going to be a later so haha you're the ones that are going to miss out on happy like the unspoken rules that nobody gets to be happy both now and later right that's like against the rules somehow right and, and on the other hand I, on one hand I get it I, it makes sense Right? So much about the pursuit of happiness. Um, when we get that happiness, it causes so much damage. Right? Um, first of all, I, I, we all know this happy is a really lousy litmus test for goodness. Right? It's a lousy gauge for if something is good or bad. Right? Lots of things bring happiness. And a lot of those things, God is 100% not behind. Right? Things like that are wrong, like sinfulness and, and selfish actions. Right? Moses, check this out. He had an opportunity to enjoy sinful pleasures of royalty or stand with his oppressed people. Right? But check this out. In Hebrews chapter 11, 25, we read that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, I want you to notice those two words there, pleasure. So the sin apparently has some pleasure attached to it, but also that, that, that adjective right before it, fleeting, right? Fleeting. The point being that lots of sinful and wrong things are temporarily pleasurable, right? And they will bring happiness for a very short amount of time. That's that word fleeting. God's also 100% any kind, against any kind of happiness that does pointless harm, right? That are, it's just foolish or unwise, Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. 
And in the pursuit of happiness, right, we, we, we do a lot of things <clears throat> that seem right, you know, because yeah, they'll, they'll make us happy. God, you know, must, must be behind it. But they do more harm in the end, right? A young lady read a story about she started dating a non-Christian, and, and it seemed like an okay thing to do. It wasn't necessarily sinful. It would bring her happiness. So she said, why not? God ought to be behind this. Um, so she starts dating a non-Christian pretty soon. Well, <clears throat> they start living together, and she decides, well, a little bit of sinful, but it brings us happiness. So, so God can't be too against this, right? It seems like the right thing to do. Well, then she gets up, ends up pregnant, right? And they decide, well, the right thing to do now would be to get married. So they get married. Very quickly, they decide, well, the right thing to do, we've got a growing family. Um, we need to trade our old car that we own outright. Uh, we need to get a brand new SUV. We, we, we can handle the, the payments. And then pretty soon they think, well, it just seems right. It just seems that it would make us happy, and God is, God's all about happy. Um, we ought to get a new house now. And so they, they buy a new house. They can't afford it. A couple months later, walks into a pastor's office. The wife says, um, my husband came to me this morning and says he never really loved me, and he walked out. So many things that we do, that they, they seem right, and they seem that they will bring us happiness, and, and that, that seems like God, that's what he wants, and so we do them, and then, and then we find out nothing but, but pain and suffering. See, the problem with equating happy with good is that it's based on a lie. Right? It's based on the lie that if something can make me happy, then God must be behind it. He must want me to do it. We'll call it the happy equation. Right? Check this out. A lot of you guys like math. A lot of you hate math. This, this will make both of you happy. Right? This is the happy equation. Better possessions, right? We blindly chase new and improved, shinier, improved, and faster. Peaceful circumstances, right? If we're not happy with our marriage or if we're not happy with our job, we're not happy with our boss, we just pull up stakes and move, right? Because we deserve peaceful, right? God would never want us to be stressed out and, and, and be in a job that, that's not, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Or we're looking for that next thrill, right? The next hobby, sport, vacation, whatever that next thrill is. Or, or, or we're on the hunt for the elusive Prince Buttercup, right? Who, who we really believe is waiting to meet us so that Prince Buttercup can make us happy the rest of our lives. Like, that's his purpose, is to bring us happiness. So we're, we're looking for Prince Buttercup. And then there's the fountain of youth, right? Perfect appearance. Diets, nips and tucks, drugs and denial. All in pursuit of a lie. So, happy and good, not synonymous, right? Not always the same thing. And then there's happy blindness, right? You ever heard of happy blindness? It's kind of like nose blindness, right? When your nose gets so used to a smell, right, that you can no longer smell it, but everybody else can smell it. That's called nose blind. Well, there's something that I'm calling happy blind, happy blindness. It happens when you get so used to a temporary pleasure that you no longer get any joy out of it, even though everybody else seems to be still getting joy out of it, right? It's because it's, it, it's an addiction. Happiness and pleasure, they're addictive, right? And addictions undermine the pleasure. You get so much of a good thing, even a legal thing, um, and it begins to lose its pleasure, and it begins to control you. So a pastime quickly becomes a pathway to pain, and you thought you were going to be 
happy. So happiness can actually lead to bad circumstances, right? Sinful, harmful, or unwise. And in other circumstances, it can actually increase our unhappiness, like in addictions. And then there's this. Happiness is nothing more than a temporary and circumstantial emotion. Three strikes. You shouldn't be happy. It's almost like these three things make it off limits for Christians, right? Anything temporary, circumstantial, or emotional. No, 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 no. We can't have it. We can't have it. Right? We're okay, again, with the words like contentment and joy, right? We believe those words contain like an element of spirituality and depth and I don't know what it is. Happiness, a little bit different. It reminds us of society's definition of happiness, right? Momentary satisfaction. But, it, but in church, for some reason, the word happy, right, it, it almost feels like empty, irresponsible, maybe even dangerous. More importantly, it seems to squash the notion that, that God is holy and he wants us to be holy and he wants us to be mature because everybody knows that holy and happy don't mix. Isn't God more concerned with using our suffering to make us holy and mature? This is what I'd always heard. One pastor I was reading, this is his testimony. He says, I've always been told that God isn't interested in making me happy. He's interested in making me holy. So I built a theology around God as someone sanctifying me towards holiness in a way that wouldn't encourage or protect happiness. Not crazy. Instead, I would grow into holiness and misery. Right? And, and I, I, I get, I, I don't think I have ever arrived at misery, um, but, but that is what I grew up with, right? That, that God's not interested in my happiness. Like he wants to make me mm, like super serious and like, I don't know, that's the end. But here's the deal, here's the deal. In all of these arguments against happiness, none of them actually state that God is against happiness, right? What if God does want us happy, right? We just have to accept it in, on God's terms, right? That's not that difficult. First of all, check this out. We see happiness in God's very nature, Right? Not only is he overflowing with love, but he's brimming over, overflowing with happiness. Scripture says this, listen to this. He rejoices over us with singing. Right? God rejoices over us with singing. This is someone who adores us and whose very being is inclined toward happiness. Scripture not only says that God himself is our strength, but check this out. It also says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, I don't really care if that's our joy in the Lord or if that's... The joy, the Lord's joy, I mean, the different interpretation, but, but the bottom line, there's, there's joy in the Lord. I think it's time that we paid more attention to God's, like, his jovial heart instead of his uh, serious, serious, holy, holy heart. You can't help but sing and love a God who sings over you. Right? How can you not be happy when you know that God is singing over you? He's so happy when he sings, sees you that he sings. Second thing, is there really a difference between his happiness and biblical joy and contentment? Right? That, that's kind of what Douglas was talking about, like the world has happy, but we Christians, we got joy. Like, like, there's, a, like there's a difference. Happiness is for you, you all, but joy is for, for us, right? right? It's church 
folks. In big red, big, 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 big giant red letters, um, no. No, there's not a difference between happiness and joy or contentment. Uh, check this out. In the dictionary, both words, they're, they're synonymous, right? You look up happiness, and there you see the word joy. You look up joy, guess what? You see the word happiness. Uh, one author did a study over the past 300 years of all the great preachers, Spurgeon, um, John Wesley, I mean, you name it, and they looked at all their sermons, and here's what they found. They use joy and happiness synonymously, they, they interchangeably, one or the other, sometimes in a sentence and an idea, they were put together, right? Check this out. This is in, this is in the NIV right, the, the, the version that you all have. Um, I'll give you just a couple examples. First one is from Esther, right? The Jews had just been rescued um, by Esther from um, the evil man, and, and, and it says this, uh, for the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. Four words, and we're going to find out those are all very synonymous. They have shades of meaning, but they're all very, very synonymous. And in Psalm chapter 68, verse 3, may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. So apparently it's okay to be happy. You can be joyful, but you can also be happy. You can be giddy. It's okay. It's okay. People say that joy is all about eternal things, right? Happiness is only temporary pleasure. But you've all used this phrase, right? I know I've used it. When somebody asks me to do a favor for them, somebody, a favor that I know I'm going to be miserable, absolutely miserable, and what phrase do I say? I'd be happy to. Right? So it's not like I'm going to be, whoo, I, I get to go mow your lawn or, you know, whatever. It's like I'm going to be miserable. <laughs> I, I know I'm going to be miserable, but there's going to be a certain amount of joy in it because I'm doing something for somebody I love. Right? Deep down inside, I'm going to feel happy, but at the moment when I'm out there sweating, no, <laughs> no joy whatsoever. Here's the deal. Um, when we talk about joy as like an unemotional transcendent thing, right, and, and happiness is, is like for the world, what we're doing is we're driving people away from Jesus Christ because the world is after happiness. And as I, I think I, I, what I really want to show you this morning, that, that God's after the same thing. We're after the same thing. So I think we need to stop bagging on the world and saying that they're happy like that's less than, but we're joyful because that's something special. It just, it just drives people away from the gospel. Here's the bottom line. Joy and happiness is promised throughout Scripture. 22 primary Hebrew words, and we've looked at already a few of them, happiness and joy and gladness and honor and, and, and rejoice and, and, and a bunch of other words. 22 primary Hebrew words and about 15 primary Greek words, all interchangeable. Gladness and blessed, and it just goes on and on and on. Well, certainly, Pastor, okay, 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 we get that, right? Nope. Okay, there's happiness, joy, and it's kind of the same thing. But certainly there's a difference between the joy or the happiness, let's use both words interchangeably, that a Christian feels and the joy and happiness that a non-Christian feels. No and yes, right? No and yes. I'll start with the no. The Apostle Paul says this about the two, you know, Christian happiness and non-Christian happiness. He says this in Acts chapter 14, verse 7, yet he has left God. God has left himself without Yet he, God has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Paul's not talking to followers in this passage. He's talking to a crowd. 
Matthew records Jesus saying in chapter 5, verse 45, he causes, he, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, on the one hand, right, there's no difference between Christian happiness and non-Christian happiness, right? But there are a couple significant differences between the happiness of a Christian and a non-Christian. Generally speaking, God just rains goodness on all of us, right? It's just all a part of his incredible mercy. But he does say something special for his children. One popular Christian writer identifies at least six kinds of happiness. Check this out. There's nature happiness, right? People go backpacking. Oh, you know, I'm in the presence of God. Social happiness. These are pretty much self-explanatory. Vocational happiness, physical happiness, intellectual happiness, humor happiness. And all of these are available because, again, God's common grace. Everybody gets in on it, right? Because God so loved the entire world, not just the really good people, right? He loves us all. There's a final one that this writer says, and he calls it spiritual happiness. And I think this is what Douglas was referring to, right? He calls it a happiness or a joy that at times contains more pleasure and delight than the other six put together. And that's the thing that you can't have until your sins are forgiven. And you've been reconciled to God and made right with him. You've been made righteous, right? You're in a right standing with God. And there's something, there's, I don't think there's anything more deep-seated in joyousness and happiness than knowing that you and God are, are good, right? You and God are like, you know, that's an amazing, an amazing, amazing feeling. That's why in Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 and 2, using the Hebrew word asher, right, very common word. You're going to recognize this word in just a moment. Um, it simply means more than happy, right? Check this out. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed or blessed, which literally means more than happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. More than happy is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deficit. Literally, Asher means straight, Right? It, it doesn't necessarily mean happy. But in the way the Jewish people use it, the way it was used in ancient Hebrew is, is happy and joyous is the person who's on the straight road. Right? And, and, and in Hebrew thought, a crooked road is the road of evilness, is the road of sin, the road of, of, of death and, and badness. But the straight road is always the good road, God's road, the straight, the straight and narrow. Right? We, we got that idea here. And so really, so this word asher, straight, really means happy is the one who walks the straight, godly path. See, now that you've been made right with God, you have this deep, reality-based happiness, right? It's based on the truth that you were made right with the happy God of Scripture um, who created you and wired you to be happy too. So, Quick recap. One big difference is that believers are in a right relationship with God, right? It creates its own kind of happiness, like spiritual happiness, like above and beyond all other kinds of happiness. But the second big difference between the happiness of believers and non-believers has more to do with how we seek happiness and how God has chosen to deliver happiness, right? This is where we get all kind of messed up, looking for love and happiness in all the wrong places. See, up until now, up until the fact that your sins were forgiven, you've been trying to satisfy your happiness and looking for it in who knows where. But here's the deal. I believe happiness is a goal of God's for us, and it's not a secondary goal. I think it's a primary goal. But we have to arrive at that primary goal through other means, 
like holiness and maturity. And yes, maybe sometimes suffering. That aren't always filled with like that intrinsic at the moment, right? Giddy happiness or joy. See, here's the deal. If happiness were the only thing, like, no, easy peasy, right? That'd be so easy for God. He could make us happy by sending us fluff and toys and sweetness and softness and rainbows and and unicorns and never, ever, ever, ever asking us to do anything remotely difficult, right? He could do that. But he knows it would be fleeting. He knows it wouldn't last. He knows it would lead to less pleasure, right? He knows all these things, right? Making us holy and mature is far more difficult than simply making us happy. So if we decide that happiness is the only thing that God wants for us, not only do we end up seeking happiness in ways that God has chosen not to give it to us, but we actually end up flip-flopping our role with God's role, right? God now has become a means to our end, right? He exists to make us happy. Basically, we're expecting God to serve us rather than serving him. The God of the universe becomes a cosmic soda machine, right? You pray enough, you give enough, you attend church enough, and God delivers uninterrupted happiness. And if your happiness gets uninterrupted, either God's laying down on the job or belief isn't working for you anymore. So what was the word despair, right? Then we move into despair. But here's God's prescribed route to lasting happiness, Some of you might not like it, but once you dig into it, you are going to find that happiness that is so incredibly elusive. This is what's called seeking the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3, I'll start. Blessed, more than happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. More than happy are those who who understand that they don't have it all together and they desperately need the Spirit of God. And it's at that point that God delivers happiness. More than happiness. More than happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. More than happy are those that recognize the fact that sin has messed up everything. Sin has helped up messed up our friendships, it's messed up our lives. And when we mourn, right, we're humbling ourselves. And at that point, God says, this guy, this, this, guy, this gal can handle happiness, right? They're not all puffed up. More than happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. More than happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. More than happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. More than happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. More than happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. More than happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. More than happiness are you when people insult you, persecute you, or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because I'll make up the difference. Like you can almost hear God saying, like, I'll fix this. And then Matthew 12, here's the capper. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, rejoice and be glad. Be happy now, because great is your reward in heaven, because your happiness later is going to knock your socks off. Right? Be happy now and later. You can have your cake and eat it too. 
This is amazing. But we can't take shortcuts, right? You can't take shortcuts. You can't try an end around, right? You can't abuse or neglect God's process. So the whole thing short circuits when we try to work around the way he wants to deliver happiness. Going for cheaper and quicker and easier than God's prescribed process, that's called the kingdom of this world, right? Short-term, quick grab. For good reason, God chooses to deliver happiness and joy through holiness. Because without holiness, happiness tends to be self-centered, short-term. It's incredibly prone to hurting us and hurting others that we love. And it's just doomed to failure. To make us holy is an incredibly time-consuming task. And it is one that involves sparks and friction and a little bit of pain and discomfort. But God's desire for us to be happy doesn't mean that we won't have times that we're not happy. Many times we do have to walk with God through times of pain and suffering, but God is always at work. And listen very carefully. He's always at work at making our happiness and our joy complete. I know that sounds crazy, but during these times of difficulty, these these times of suffering, he's at work. Maybe he's refining our character. Maybe he's healing our past. Maybe he's trying to develop our emotional, spiritual muscle, right? The process feels painful, and he doesn't ask us to just like pretend everything's okay. No, 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 I'm happy, I'm happy. No, he doesn't ask us to do that. He just asks us to recognize that, that, that right now there's sorrow, but in the morning, in the morning, whew, right? the struggle's not the end of the story. And if we think that God wants us to feel constant misery, then you're never going to understand the love of God. You're never going to feel his love. You're always going to... F- Feel something different. The truth is, even the invitation to grow contains the desire of God to bring us to a deeper level of health and holiness, happiness, right? It's kind of his end goal. It actually is, right? He calls it the abundant life. Another term he uses is life eternal. With that word eternal, not necessarily only meaning length of time, but intensity of experience. The abundant life, life eternal. So when we go through times of suffering, God wants us to keep sight of the hope that there's more for us. Right? In Isaiah, we see this passion to encourage the Israelites. Right? Listen to this. This is many years prior. They had been rebelled against God, and he had distanced himself from them. Right? And yet now he zealously proclaims that he's taken them back. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11 says, Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. He wants to bless them now more than they've ever been blessed before, right? You can almost feel God's excitement, right? Clearly. He doesn't want them just to feel better. He wants joy to be everlasting. He wants gladness and joy to overtake them. But when we lose sight of the hope that there's more for us, that there's a purpose behind the suffering and the pain, the temporary, that's when we look for our shortcuts. When we no longer believe that God can pull it off. A writer, Jacques Philippe, writes this. says, lacking hope 
We don't really believe that God can make us happy. And so we construct our happiness out of covetousness and lust. We don't wait to find the fullness of his existence in God, of our existence in God, and so we shape an artificial identity or happiness grounded in pride. Maybe this has been you. See, it's a, a series of steps. God first creates our desire for happiness to find fulfillment in knowing him. That's where we will find our ultimate happiness is, is in him. And he then uses that desire for happiness in him so that we'll be able to endure or have hope, right, during that season of suffering. And the key player in all this, happiness. Happiness is like his, his draw, right? The happiness of being with God, of walking with him in the garden, that, that's his draw, don't be afraid of the idea that the Bible talks about rewards in heaven. That speaks to joy and happiness. Again, maybe this has been you. Maybe you didn't really believe that God could make you happy. Maybe you believed that that wasn't his job. But what if it was? What if God does want us happy? I love that idea. And I'll tell you right now, I'm fully behind it. Uh, everything I read in Scripture, I mean, it screams that God actually does want us happy. There's nothing wrong with wanting happiness because God wants it for us too. It's just a question of not exalting it over God or grasping for it without God, right? It's an issue of being willing to surrender to him for those seasons that don't feel easy um, while trusting that his blessing is still on the way. So, Richland, Church of the Nazarene, what if, what if God does want us happy? What if Psalm 68, verse 3, became not only true, well, what if it became our prayer, believing that God was going to deliver it? Psalm 68, 3, once again, but the righteous, may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God, may they be happy and joyful, right? Based on my reading of Scripture, I believe that God does want us happy. He wants us more than happy. And it seems to me that followers of Jesus Christ, you know, believers, Christians, whatever you want to call us, we should be the happiest doggone people on the face of the earth. We know that we win. We know that God wins. We know that evil is defeated. We know that pain and suffering loses. Right? We know that we are going to have joy in the Lord one day, and we will rejoice. So if you bow your heads, Father, we just need to just dump this idea that you don't want us happy. Because, Father, from the beginning of the, your word to the very end, there, it just seems to be filled with joy and happiness and gladness and rejoicing all over you because you have made this life worth living to the point where we don't even mind losing it because we then get more life, more joy and happiness because then we get to be with you. So, Father, this morning, if any person hearing my voice is bought into this lie that somehow God doesn't want us happy, Father, by the power of your spirit, just take that idea and just rip it out of them. Just rip it out of them, Father, because you do. You use joy and happiness to your benefit to glorify you, we find our happiness and joy in, 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 in you. 
and we, 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 we just stand in awe. Father, thank you. Thank you that I, I get to stand up here and be joyous every Sunday, and I don't need, I, I can't do that. Father, you knew that. Thank you for calling me to preach. Father, give them joy. Give them happiness. Give them the desires of their hearts. Because I know this is what you want to do. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Your son's name I pray.